Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning if you had a favorite Bible verse, no doubt many of you would say, well, oh yeah, I like this one. Most people do have a favorite Bible verse of one kind or another. Uh, I'm going to use one of mine this morning, and I think if you were at Redeemer in Nixon this morning, you might hear your new pastor, Jared Caney, speaking about one of his from Psalm 46, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. But like I said, one of my favorite Bible verses has always been Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And you might say, well, why do you like that one so much? It was very simple. It's because it underlines precious and powerful principles about the God that we serve and the life that he gives us. And so today we're going to take a few moments to take a look at this wonderful piece of scripture and see what it teaches us about the faithfulness of God. And we've already sung of that, haven't we? Great is thy faithfulness. But the first thing we need to do is kind of take a look at the book of Lamentations. It's kind of an interesting book. Even its name, Lamentations, ought to tell you something about it. It's kind of an expression of sorrow or grief with an underlying sense of regret. And as you can see, there are about five different parts to the book of it. And each one of those is kind of a cranky, cranky section of God's word. And you kind of wonder, what on earth is this all about? And then kind of like right in the middle of it, you find our text for today. These laments were written during the siege of Jerusalem. The Babylonians had completely surrounded it, had captured it. Uh, They destroyed it. The people there were either murdered or they were hauled off into captivity and spread throughout whatever was the Babylonian Empire at that time. Now, the prophet Jeremiah, all the way through Lamentations and in his other book, had predicted this, that it would happen for generations because the people had continued to live in rebellion in spite of the fact that the Lord had said, no, return to me. And again and again, as you read scripture, you see a summary of each king's reign. In fact, if you read 2 Kings chapter 23 to 25, you're going to hear this phrase repeated many times. He, meaning the king, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestors had done. Now, The evil that they were doing was not, you know, playing cards on a Sunday or dancing or something like that. I mean, this guy was shedding innocent blood. There were unholy alliances with other foreign countries. Uh, They honored false prophets who they refused to call to accountability. Uh, They mocked and they scorned Jeremiah. In, In other words, they made fun of what we would call today Christians were making fun of people of God. Sounds A little bit familiar, doesn't it? See, God's plan for his people, which has never really changed, is that all of his people live in unity, in peace, and in prosperity, and that justice, as scripture says, would flow like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. But in Judah, in those days of Jeremiah, this was not the case. There was great corruption in the leadership of their government. There was great corruption even amongst the religious leaders, political leaders, and even the people. And finally it got to the point where God kind of said in effect, I can no longer be a part of what you're doing. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. Now I could ask a lot of parents today, have you ever said that to your kids? You finally said, okay, if if that's the way you want it, 
go ahead, go ahead, just see how it works out for you. Well, the city of Jerusalem was, of course, destroyed, and the people were taken captive, and this is when Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Now, it's kind of important to know the backstory of our, t- our text today because it gives the text even much more impact than just the superficial reading of a couple of verses. It's important that Judah, uh, to understand that Judah had come to ruin because of their own fault, because they have not listened to any warnings that the prophet of God gave. Now, I've got to tell you, when I read through Lamentations, it reminds me of so many people that I have met in my life who have made a complete and utter mess of their lives through foolish decisions, rebellious decisions, selfish decisions, sinful decisions. They they do wrong, they know it's wrong, but they just keep on doing it anyway. And as a result, you can literally watch their lives kind of spiral down the drain or, or kind of unravel. Do you know any people like that? I would imagine that most of us probably know someone who's like that. Uh, Lived in that same kind of experience. See, what happens, because we're sinful people, we're a little bit headstrong. After all, we are predominantly German Lutherans. We're stubborn. And when we decide that things aren't going our own way, what do we do? We go ahead and do what we darn well please. Until the reality check shows up one day in the mail. Let me give you a couple of examples. I know a lot of single people who refuse to listen when it comes to their dating life. They date who they want to date instead of who they ought to date. See, attraction today seems to be so much dependent upon looks and income rather than character and spirituality. They don't listen to godly advice. They don't listen to godly counsel. And they end up miserably married. And yet I've known a lot of married people in my life who refuse to work out their problems together. They refuse to reconcile. They become bent on an idea of divorce because that's what their friends have said. I'll just dump them or dump her. And they're determined to get back to their independent ways, but they aren't prepared for the price tag that comes with a broken family. I've known people who've been so in love with material life that they've spent every penny they had on all kinds of toys, and they finally had their whole income leveraged to the point where everything kind of came crashing down on them. I've seen people do that with their health and with their relationships and their career, finances, family, and on and on until finally life is really nothing but a bunch of broken pieces. And the Bible makes it all very clear. I'm going to paraphrase a scripture here for you. Been there, done that. Own the t-shirt. There's not a person here this morning who's not had some fractured part of their life. And you've kind of sat back and said, I guess I got what I deserved out of this. And you begin to look for restoration. How do I make life better one more time? Well, an important part of restoring your life, of course, is the willingness to take responsibility for your actions and take ownership of the results that you created for yourself. Now, some people are never willing to do that. It's always somebody else's fault. But the message of Lamentations is that the people of Judah, and by extension us, we need to understand that our sin brings its own results in our life. And this is where today's text, I find, is so precious and also powerful. 
See, even though the people of Judah had defied God for generations, God says, but I'm not done with you yet. Even though their rebellion brought about the destruction of their capital city and their country, God says, I'm still not done with you yet. See, the candle had not yet burned out. The door had not yet closed. God was still reaching out to his people. I want you to look at the words of Jeremiah as they are in the message translation. It says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember. Now, I'd stop there and say, well, what's he going to tell you that he remembers? Well, very simply, what he's going to tell you that he remembers is that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And as we've just sung, great is thy faithfulness. Now, friends, you can take that to the bank. You can build your life just on those last few words. And that's why I want to encourage you today. If you've never, ever memorized the Bible passage, or if you memorized a bunch, here's another one to add to your list. Memorize the tail end of that, verses 22 and 23. See, these words from Lamentations remind us of three things about the faithfulness of God. Now, what is it? Now, first of all, remember, God's love for you will never, ever change. Even when by every other worldly standard you don't deserve to be loved, God will still love you. It says the steadfast love of the Lord, what? It never ceases. Now, have you ever known somebody who kind of loved you one day and didn't the next? Well, I think if you ever had kids, you've probably been through that already. Um, people are like that. I mean, humans treat each other that way. Our love is kind of conditional. Our love is kind of temporary. Uh, you know, we say, I'll love you forever. And what does that mean? It means uh, until somebody else comes along or until you disappoint me or uh, as long as it's convenient or I'll love you until it's easier not to love you. See, we tend to have kind of short-term, limited, easily shakeable, easily breakable love. But see, God's love, however, is unshakable. It's unwavering. It, 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 it just, his love is not only long-term, it's permanent. It's forever. And we have no concept of what that really means. And see, this promise to the people of Judah proves it. If ever a people did not deserve to be loved, this was the group of people right here. They were an ungrateful bunch of, bunch. I hate to even say what they are. They're just ungrateful. Didn't deserve it. But God provided for them again and again and again and again. And they turned their backs on him again and again and again and again. And still the prophet is able to say what? God's love is steadfast. It never ends. Never, ever, never, ever. Now, in a crowd this size, there, there may be one or two of you. I don't know how many who might actually be thinking, though, this morning. You know, God... God can't possibly love me. I mean, I know what I am and I know what I've done. But friends, uh, you got part of it right. He knows you and he knows what you've done. 
You probably know some other people in your life, too, that you believe the same thing, that they believe that their lives have been way too ugly. Their sins are way too sinful for God to ever love them again. And if you know people like that, you've got an opportunity to leave this place today and go to them and tell them, friend, God's love has no limits. God's love knows no ends. Now, he doesn't love you and me because we're so lovable. To be quite quite honest, none of us is very lovable. Neither does he love us because we're good. I mean, the scripture is pretty clear about that. Many of you maybe have actually memorized Romans 5, 8 that says uh, God shows his love uh, for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is the most solid thing in your life that you can count on. I mean, he could not love you any more than he loves you today. He cannot love you any less than he loves you today. And when you meditate on that verse every morning, if you would just every morning have your Bible open and look at it and say, wow, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. What a great way to start your day. When you meditate on that, you remember that God's love for you will never, ever change. But here's the second thing. You're going to have all the mercy you ever need. And I tell you, I need that. I mean, Jeremiah said his mercies never come to an end. And just like people think they can exhaust the love of God, there are people who think that they can exhaust the mercy of God. They said, man, I have committed this sin, Pastor, so many times. There's no way God's going to forgive me for this again. But if there's one thing I've learned in my 50 plus years of ministry is this. You cannot outlast God's mercy. It'll be there for as long as you need it. I mean, some people say, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, if that's the case, what's to prevent a person from sinning all they want and then going around and very quickly asking for forgiveness? I've heard that argument from a number of people. I hate that argument. But whenever people talk about how they can deal with God, make a deal with him, I, I, I need to... Remind them of a couple things. This is not like pulling the wool over the eyes of your parents or the pulling the wool over your boss's eyes. You're not tricking God by doing something quickly, asking for forgiveness and going right back to it again. God knows what's in your heart. And if you're playing games with him, he knows how to make things real. And if you don't believe that, go back and read what happened to the people of Judah. This is also not about tricking God into forgiving you one more time so you can go out and sin one more time. It's knowing that you struggle with your sins. We all do. We all struggle with a certain point of weakness in our lives, and we disappoint other people over and over again. We fall short of the glory of God each and every day. And yet, what does Scripture say? His mercies are new every morning. I mean, we don't even get leftover mercies, do we? We get the real deal Every day. He'll help you get back on your feet again. He'll give you the chance to try once again. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about this. You know, when he says, you know, I don't understand my own actions. Because I do what I don't want to do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I do. I have the desire to do what's right. But I don't have the ability to carry it out. I feel like that from time to time, too. And you know something? If Paul, one of the greatest apostles ever lived, if he struggled with this, then you and I certainly are. So what then is our hope as we gather this morning? Well, it's the never-ending mercy of God. 
extended to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible puts only one condition on mercy. Do you know that? Only one condition on mercy. Do you know what that condition is? I bet some of you might actually know this Bible passage. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful for what? They shall receive mercy. There's the condition. If you need God's mercy, Scripture says, then show mercy. Cut other people some slack. Offer them forgiveness. Love them forever. And you're going to discover that his mercies, his mercies, God's mercies never come to an end. Now, here's the third thing to remember. And that's that every day is a new beginning. Boy, I'm thankful for that. Have you ever had a day you thought, oh, man, this day is never going to end? Well, guess what? They do as long as you live through it. But every day is new. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday, way back in the month of June, because you can't do anything to change it. It's gone. What happened yesterday really can't hurt you anymore. If you messed up yesterday, today you can say, that part of my life is over, Lord. Today, with your strength, by the presence of the Spirit of my life, I'm going to do better. That's why it's such a great idea, I think, to repeat this Bible verse over and over each and every morning. You know, open up your Bible, put it on a little three-by-five card, lay it by the side of your bed, get up in the morning and read that passage to remind yourself as early as possible that today you're working with a clean slate with unlimited possibilities. I don't know if you do the same thing, but you ever notice that when we get into a new year, what what year is this? This is, what, 2018? Um, Have you ever made the mistake that early in the year you're still writing 2017 when you make out a check? I did that a couple of weeks ago when I was paying the guy who mowed our lawn. It's kind of subconscious. It's kind of like subconsciously we're kind of hanging on to the past or we're kind of still living back there. And we let old habits influence how we think today. And I'm encouraging you to break the connection to yesterday and just start living for today because God's faithfulness is always here. His mercies are new every day. His love lasts forever. Now, some of you may recognize this baseball player if you're a fan like I am. Uh, I was at the College World Series. It's my 31st year as a a season ticket holder. You might say, oh, wow, but that was really cool. Well, normally I go to the first four days. I see every team play twice, so in four days I see eight games. This year I saw three games and 20-plus hours of rain delays and lightning delays. (laughs) And then I came home to watch it in the cool confines of the Husker man cave at home. Sorry if you're not a Husker fan. Not all of us are blessed equally. (laughs) But some of you may know this guy. I I was a Dodger fan for a long time, from the time they were in Brooklyn. And Oral Hershiser, a strong Christian man, uh, was the World Series winning pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers a number of years back. And he attributed his success on the mound to his ability to concentrate on the next pitch. So after throwing something and seeing it sail out of the ballpark 450 feet for a home run on a pitch that he probably should never have thrown, he could not allow himself of the luxury to think about it. Now, why not? It's because there was another batter stepping in the box. Uh, he had the focus to getting him out, and that's why Oral Hershiser said the most important pitch for a pitcher is always the next pitch. 
See, friends, in, in the same way, the most important day for any Christian is today. It does no good to wallow in all of the problems of yesterday or to cower and be frightened of what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, today is really all that's mattered. T- today is the only thing you've really been promised. And with God, every day is a new day. So let's kind of sum this up. What, what does this verse teach us? I should ask some of you to come up here and tell us what it that, Of course, that'd scare a few people, wouldn't it? So I'll tell you. How's that? I'll do it for you. It teaches us about the endless possibilities that exist in a life with God. He will always love you, and nothing will ever change that. He will always forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, one of my other favorite Bible passages. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will always pick you up when you fall. He will always give you another chance to get it right, and nothing will ever change that. And every day he gives you a brand new day. Every day he gives you a chance at a brand new life. Every day he gives you a brand new chance to be all that you're capable of being and doing And that's why I would encourage you, one more time, take a look at that verse, to repeat those words. In fact, as we close this morning, let's read this verse together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God bless you as you remember that passage and as you live out those words.